0: Welcome to Sonic Dorms. On today's show, I have a very, very special guest. It is uh I am humbled by having this guest on today. He is a high priest of metal, found uh, founding member of Judas Priest, and he is currently uh, his current endeavors are in his latest project in a band aptly titled KK's Priest. How are you doing, KK? You got KK doing.
1: Really, really good. Thank you very much for uh inviting me on the show
0: yeah absolutely uh this is a a new platform for me it's all about uniting all shapes and forms of music and priest has in you and your contributions to priest have always been very diverse and versatile so uh, i believe you understand that respect more than uh, a lot of people do
1: yeah absolutely um yeah it's been a, a whirlwind really um a long whirlwind um Many decades uh, in the making, but I'm extremely proud and honored and um, delighted to, to have had such a great uh, relationship, obviously, with the, the world of metal fans, of which I am one, of course, and you are too. Um, so it's been a fantastic friendship and relationship, and, uh, and here's to many more years of it.
0: Where, 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 how does it feel for you to to be back out in the spotlight in such a way right now, and show in all the love that you're getting? I can see various interviews, whether it be on Eddie Trunk or whoever. You you've been um, gaining all this respect and love uh, from the metal community. How does that feel for you right now? That yeah,
1: feel, feels fantastic. Um, as I said it's really uh, very rewarding to be in this position. Um, be great to turn the clock back a couple of decades, you know. So, but uh, just, uh, but I think I'm fighting fit. Max, ready to go, really for sure. Um, really pumped up about the new band and project and everything, and um, can't wait to get out there. As I'm, I'm sure every band in the world is waiting, you know, just for the green light to uh, to get back to where where we once were and look. Seems ages ago now, doesn't it, really? I suppose it's just over a year, more or less. But uh, but uh, I'm sure that we'll be, uh, we'll be out there rocking pretty soon.
0: Wonderful. If you don't mind uh, sharing with me, one of the biggest things I like getting at on the show is, uh, especially with veterans, is of the industry of, of metal, of music in general, is the origin story. And I feel like uh, yours is particularly unique. You were born in West Bromwich, if I'm correct.
1: Yeah, yeah. Where, where, yeah.
0: where does the you're such a to me next to legends like Tony Iommi? You were a major contributor to the met the foundation of all that is heavy metal uh, from the very beginning. So where did that spirit come from initially for you?
1: Yeah, it's a very, very good question, and I I actually have some. Some fun with that along the way, really. On the new record, you know, um, you know, even uh, even with uh, like the opening track, you know, Hellfire Thunderbolt, is kind of uh, possibly fact, possibly fiction, you know, as to how us kind of uh, didn't I say chosen ones in a way? Because I feel as though we were, because in the in the '60s, the early '60s, there wasn't there wasn't the music around for people like myself and I'm sure Tony because he lived not too far away from me and uh, I'm sure he was one of the guys as well that probably felt the same that even though we had the blues music which was very that was a saving grace you know as, as young teenagers to latch onto, um, but there wasn't really a specific music for us kind of blue collar you know snot nose kids that were street urchins um to, to latch on to really um but as i say the blues music was a saving grace and uh and it was for many musicians around england at that time obviously the great eric clapton jeff beck and jimmy page the likes of those guys right. obviously listened to blues music and uh and uh, formulated their interpro- interpretation of like progressive blues music, and even Led Zeppelin was a great progressive blues band, you know. Um, and the great Fleetwood Mac, Peter Green was one of the very best. When you think of the songs that he- some of the songs that he did, like Green Manalishi, Oh Well, Albatross, uh, and there are others, you know, they're kind of ex- quite extraordinary, really. So very much worth a listen. Um, and so that was great, really, because we had all of these wonderful bands to listen to and to go and see. Savoy so Brown, blogging Peak, Ten Years After, Free, Rory Gallagher. You know, uh, this was endless, you know. But it still wasn't really the type of music that I personally was attracted to, you know. Uh, So I tell the story of when I first saw Hendrix in 1967, the Coventry Theatre, and there was more heavy metal in his music to me, to my ears, than any other band by far. You know, um, because songs like uh, Purple Haze and Foxy Ladies, these heavy riff-orientated, you know, uh, very weighty songs you know very atmospheric and very you know to me very emotional was a big thing for me so when i when i heard that and there was other bits around by other bands as well at the time and possibly a little bit before um but when when i heard that it kind of got me on the road i went out i bought a guitar it was 10 pounds and i thought that you know um you know, I want to be a part of this, you know. And and we need much, much more because it's very Spartan. And it wasn't, you know, I mean, and so when I first heard the first Sabbath album, I thought, Rejoice, this is fantastic. You know, this is really good. Um, but it was still wasn't exactly what I was hearing because I was taking the crux of it all from, the Hendrix style of playing, but there's no doubt for me, uh, even if uh, Black Sabbath ever at one point denied they were a heavy metal band, to me I could hear that definitely in their work, you know. Um, so it was good, and so I pushed forward at a very young age trying to develop and encourage and enhance the, uh, the so-called what would be in the end heavy metal and that was traversed through blues, progressive blues, rock, hard, heavy rock, hard rock, heavy rock, and heavy metal, you know, as which we as Judas Priest was was labeled all of those things at some point during our career and and during the evolution that would get us to heavy metal. So it's a very, very in-depth and interesting subject. You know, um, but there was people like me here and there around the world for sure, you know, hearing something kind of similar, you know, and I do tell the story when I first heard um, You Really Got Me by the Kings in 1965, I thought, why do I like this? This is supposed to be a pop band. They have songs in the top 10 all the time, the Kings, you know why do I like this song? And then when I saw Van Halen supporting Black Sabbath in Birmingham in about 1979, I think, on their first album, correct me if I'm wrong on that. that Right,
0: that was, Sabbath were on their Never Say Die tour, which was the final record with Ozzy up to that point, and Van Halen was on their first tour.
1: Yeah, and and rejoice when I saw them play that song. I thought, that's why I liked it back in 1965, because... Now it's got this going for it with Eddie and the guys just slamming that something out. It was it was great, and so so I've always been pretty confident, you know, with my ears and um, and my de- direction in life and what I I believe I was put on the earth to do, and that is you know exactly what I do today.
0: That's amazing, and. I, what I've always loved about your playing, I mean, going back to watching uh, the priest live show from 86, from the fuel for life tour on the, uh, from the turbo tour, really, what is, what that's what it was known as the fuel for life tour on that tour, especially, uh, I got to really see your personality as a guitar player on stage and you're, you're very fiery. Uh, you're brimming with this sort of optimism when you're on stage that comes across to the audience. Um, I've always loved that about your spirit in the, in the band is, um, you kind of bring this, um, you ignite this energy into all that you do when you're playing. It's very, um, it's just something that to me is just uh, incredibly, just incredible. I, yeah. I can't really put it into words. Just it's captivating. Well,
1: like I say when I saw, you know, when I saw Hendrix, you know, and I say in his prime because there was, I saw, uh, I saw Hendrix six times, and were, at the what the there were times when he was at absolutely totally kind of natural and raw and and his mind must have been in absolutely the right place and and it was absolutely electrifying it was incredible to see uh, obviously later on he was affected by the system management and and other things influencing the influences in his life and obviously he was uh, at times and i think it's quite well documented he was uh, You know, in a short space of time, he started to suffer some kind of gremlins getting into his mind and it and it did affect his performance and playing, you know. But when he was that free spirit, which I witnessed several times, it was just something that stayed with me forever. And so I acknowledge the fact not not only was he a great musician, a great guitar player, very flamboyant, a great stage performer, you know, he was the all-encompassing, and you, and and I knew that just being like, you know, a great uh, player, for example, of which there were many, you know, great players. But why did Hendrix have everything in one, you know? And quite simply, because when he hit the stage, he went out there, and there was a sense, I think, that um, from the the people in the audience could see that that he was totally a free spirit. He was emotional. He was a great player, a great performer. And he was there for the people as one. And from the second he hit the stage to the minute he left, you know, he was absolutely totally encapsulated and engulfed in his entire performance and wanted to give 100%, not just the playing, but how he looked, how he performed, just just everything and and i guess that was always staying with me so when i hit the stage and sometimes for, it was for a long period you know it was important to sustain that energy and, and and portray that energy and and that 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 gladness of wanting to be there for every second to perform for the audience and so that was all a part of me being on the stage and it was, and it was, and it was great, and I was really proud of my bandmates, because you know we 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 rebounded off each other with this energy, you know, for so long, and it was a part of of uh, how we became successful, I think really, because we it was all kind of we had a duty to each other, an unspoken bond that we would go out there, literally all guns blazing, and that's what made us feel. So kind of um, infallible in a way, really, as a unit, and we would, we could go out there and support and play with anybody, and and it didn't phase us at all. You know, we were, you know, the mighty priest, and and we had the uniform to back it up, and uh, and it was, uh, and it was great times, you know.
0: Yeah, and, and speaking of uh, uniform, um, in, your, in your book, I, I, I had known about this for a while, but um, in your autobiography, which was released last year, uh, Heavy Duty Days and Nights and Judas Priest, you mentioned being the one that really, that discovered the image in a way. The, the one that brought the image to yeah. the band, the first one to bring the leather and studs, the, the heavy metal uniform, or as what, what is known nowadays as the heavy metal uniform to the band
1: yeah because um it just happened in a short space of time the band was great sounded great but we you see originally when we first started in the 60s it was kind of a thing to do to look quite eclectic you know on stage and for everybody to have their own kind of identity and their you know an, an image and stuff and that was great but i think we got caught up in that because you see, I think a big part of that was so many of the pop bands had an identical uniform haircut. Everything they looked like they came out of a, a sardine tin, you know.
0: Right. Yeah. <laughs>
1: you know, uh, bands like the Beatles, and that worked great for them. So we went as far away from that as we could possibly get. But sometime in the sixties, mid uh, in the seventies, mid seventies, it kind of came back to me that. It was a uniform that we needed, you know, because, you know, Glenn was over there in kind of emerald green and Rob was out there in cream and, you know, and Ian was out there, you know, in, all, you know, we were all out there in, in different colours, you know, and things. And, um, and I thought it suddenly dawned on me that there was a weakness about that for the music, for what we were doing. It didn't fit. You know, so I, it kind of came to me that, you know, that black was the way to go, you know, and obviously embellished with the studs. And I just don't know where it, you know, but it just kind of seemed kind of natural to me. And, um, but I knew that to get this across the line, I had to be a little bit kind of, you know, kind of... uh, I'm not going to use the word devious but like I, I wanted because obviously you know we we were had very very strong personalities in the band you know and um and some people like to like to think if you know you know i was aware that maybe if it wasn't somebody else's idea that it probably wouldn't fly so i had to like i do it in a certain way so i had a word with rob and i said rob do you fancy Coming down to London with me, I found this this uh this this uh company, this shop called Mr. S that makes all leather clothes. And so Rob agreed and we went down there and um because I was already wearing kind of some leather stuff with studs and stuff. And uh Rob went down there and he really liked it and got into it and 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 the clothes I was I thought, this is great, you know. And so myself and Rob started to wear these clothes and and slowly it kind of filtered out into the rest of the guys, where it became a very good idea for us to don this image and this uniform, you know, so that therefore it was a uniform in the way, in the sense of the fact that the materials were the same, Max, you know, and you know, with the studs and embellishments, but everybody, the onus was on everybody to design their own individual versions of the uniform and then it was great you know and uh, really fitted the music and the image and then before you knew it, lots of bands kind of took to this image and um and did you know their versions of it and but we didn't take any homage to, to that at all we were very kind of um glad and proud in a way to be uh the first and the archetypal heavy metal look if if that makes any sense to everybody and so and i'm still proud of it today and 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 i just love it and that's what i do now you know i'm going to be filming a new video and i've got some more stuff and it's kind of nice to keep him making different versions of the uh uh, of, of 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 what what was um, what came from somewhere who knows where you know all of those years ago uh, to be a, a part of of this whole genre that we're so proud of of music you know uh, true metal classic metal whatever you want to call it you know uh, just stuff that goes back decades and stuff that we've all shared on this journey with us through life and through time. And it seems just too good now. We can never dispense with it. It's a part of us and we're a part of it.
0: Yeah, and I believe uh, I can speak for the uh, metal community here and saying that we're uh, eternally grateful for that. We we really love and value heavy metal and uh, I'm really happy that you're back. And uh, moving forward uh, with your new project with KK's Priest, uh, Sermons of the Sinner, which is out uh august 20th uh what made you decide to make keep this as a twin guitar attack and, and, and why, you could have gone the solo guitar route you decided to have aj mills join you what what why why make keep it twin guitar related
1: you know that's so strange that you mentioned that max because i could have gone that route couldn't i yeah do you know it never entered my head?
0: Really? <laughs> I've got to be perfectly it's not honest. calculated.
1: Gotcha. Why didn't it enter my head to do that? I mean, I, we were a four-piece back in the day with uh, myself, Rob, and, and Ian, and uh, John Hinch. You know, we were, and with Al Atkins, we were a four-piece. Um, do you know it never entered my head? Strangely enough, Um, but anyway, I can't really say any more about that apart from the fact it just never came, never, but it would have been an option. I could have been the sole guitar player. Yes, I could. I guess, but obviously, I guess I always knew that, you know, I would be playing some stuff, obviously, from the past, and I would want to do that.
0: Right. You know, uh,
1: but I still could have done solos for both guitar players. That wouldn't have been a problem. Um, but anyway, no. But I'm I'm very very happy because AJ is obviously I love him and he's great and we can do all of these. I'm not going to call it trickery, but cool guitar things together. You know, and and when you do some of the stuff that we do that we've done on the album in quite an abundance it is fun and it's very, very going to be very cool to play this stuff just as it was in judas priest you know when myself and glenn did some of these really cool kind of uh, you know dual guitar parts and trade-off stuff and all of that and and i always did like that and obviously it was it was a concession of mine to bring another guitar player in you know uh prior to the first album to, to get our teeth stuck in to these really cool things, because it wasn't there on the planet. The two guitar player thing generally came across as quite kind of commercial and kind of a bit lightweight with the harmonies. And I say that in the nicest possible way, because Wishbone Ash was a great, you know, was, you know not a favourite band of mine at the time, you know, I was probably listening to more like Dickie Betts and the bands like that, you know, the Grateful Dead and obviously the James Gang and different guys. Uh, lots of dual guitar players in the States, but not so much in the UK. Um, but I always thought there was an option to do like, you know, a heavy version of uh, uh, of a two guitar band, you know. So I wanted to research that. And, and that's what we did with myself and Glenn.
0: What what I love that I'm hearing is, um, like you just mentioned, there's a lot of those guitar harmonies. There's a lot of going panning, going back and forth. Uh, especially when I'm listening to you on a good pair of headphones, I can hear where you stand. I can hear where AJ stands, and you kind of yeah, flip flop, yeah. kind of like uh, you and Glenn used to do. And um, when when you put these new batch of songs together, where you um writing them with the idea that you're going to be the prominent guitarist because i know uh glenn took on a lot of leads or did that come into yeah
1: Yeah. no i think that was a bone a bone contention that crept in really over the years you know i i didn't really feel as though i had my fair share of uh, lead work and um and i should have really because obviously i can do this stuff and on this album it's you know it's inundated with uh well, I like to think is a lot of cool guitar work, but it's kind of more evenly shared out between myself and AJ because that's the way I like to be. Because when the audience see a band, they don't just want to see a guitar player and a, and you know and a, and a support guitar player. You know, we want to see two guys that can really rip it up together. You know, that have the lead capabilities. So that's what happens on this record, and that's what will happen live
0: that's amazing i what, what i love about this is like i feel like this first record is only just the warm up for what's coming next uh, you you've said that you're already writing uh, working on some new songs for the follow up yeah. i believe this was just a starter project cuz uh, a yeah. very promising yeah. starter project cuz i love everything i've heard
1: yeah there's, there's a lot of guitar work on this on this album you know that the fans will it will be like i say it's not oversaturation but it's there in abundance um, you know, and um I think it's just the right amount, but there's um there's plenty of it, you know, and there's a good variety of it as well, you know, even to the point of doing just a little bit of flamenco stuff, which I like to do as well, you know, um, but I want to do more of more of everything really um but, like I say, I would like to do I will continue to do. You know, improvised solos live. You know, and um, and I will be encouraging AJ to do the same as well. But I I like to do that. You know, um, so that will that will be ongoing. So it's going to be fun to put a live set together, and I'll be guided by the fans. Obviously, there's going to be a demand to do some of the Ripper era stuff. You know, Jugulator and and Demolition, and but also um some of the very maybe earlier stuff, you know, due to stuff that never got played that I'd like to do. And um, and obviously, uh, plenty of stuff off the new record.
0: Speaking of Ripper, KK, uh, was it a no-brainer for you to bring Ripper into the picture for this project and for your band?
1: Absolutely. You know, we know how awesome he is, and I just wanted him to hear singing stuff like this, you know, because he didn't, we didn't present him with the opportunity when he was in Judas Priest to to sing songs like this, so I wanted to do that, you know, Um uh, for him. You know, things may well have been very different, but that's in the history books now, so we, we can only move forward.
0: Yeah, one of the biggest things that struck my ears when I first saw the video for uh, Hellfire Thunderbolt when it premiered on YouTube was you have them singing in these really insanely high registers that I never really got to hear as much of that on Jugulator or Demolition outside of maybe Cathedral Spires. Yeah, it's
1: it's just um, a coincidence. that Those are the first two tracks because, you know, the rest of the album, you know, that's not consistent all the way through the album. Obviously, um, the album... Is, is, is a great uh, platform to, you know, for obviously to illustrate how versatile Ripper is as, as a singer, you know. So the songs do, as you probably heard, Max, if you heard more tracks, you know, they uh, there is a, a good variety. Um, like I say, it's a great show, showcase for Ripper to show exactly um, how many different ways he can... Approach your song.
0: Yeah, uh, there's a track in particular called "Brothers of the Road," which gave me a rock hard ride free. You've got another thing coming, kind of vibe to.
1: It's exactly that. I think. I think. Yeah, I uh, rock hard ride free. Another thing coming. You spot on there. You may be a little bit of heading out to the highway, you know, um, but it's that side of um, of you know the way that i um write and uh like I say everything i do everything i've done on this record is just what i naturally would do none of it was an effort i didn't have to try to do everything it just came really pretty easy and so i'm very very pleased about that you know because it was it would have been very uh, uh, easy to be quite nervous about you know can i just put my head down and, and do a whole record you know and um um, I'm glad that I did, and I think I've fitted into a slot, you know, being able to sit down, you know, and and put so many ideas together without having to be scrutinised by other, you know, other, you know, in such a way, you know, uh, as a writing team, obviously with myself, Glenn, and Rob, you know, it was, you know, often, you know, obviously a compromise and a collaboration, and that's great, and. And so much stuff came out of that, but I don't have to do that. I don't feel, you know, now with with this band because I think I think the guys in the band think that, you know, if I present something and think it's good, then it's got that kind of uh, heritage and kind of classic feel about it. And a lot, some of these ideas do go back quite early, probably early eighties, you know not many but just a couple here and there and i and i did say that i want to bring you know the past into the present and the future with me i want to take it with me i don't want to just leave that identity behind because i can't i can only do what i naturally do and what i naturally do is going to sound like that because i I knew straight away i'm thinking god this is sounding like it could have been done in this you know the the nineties or the eighties or even the seventies for sure. A lot of this stuff if that um, makes sense. I hope it does.
0: Absolutely, I'm gonna actually be keeping my uh, ears perked up for those early, maybe archived, the uh, Priest riffs that are being integrated into this new record. Because uh, yeah, well, I well said, point of entry maybe that era '81, '82. Yeah, well, well,
1: yeah some of them you wouldn't yeah. think that. You know, because so many people these days, and I think we got caught up in with that as well, everybody's looking for something that's kind of you know from the, 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 the that's in the future, you know, but we're not in the future yet, we're in the now, you know, and um, and I'm happy to bring stuff from the past into the now as opposed to trying stuff that sounds like it's in the future. To now, you know, if that makes sense. And so some of the ideas are really so kind of musically basic, you wouldn't think that I would go with it. Um, but, but because the fact it sounds kind of classical, classic in a way, and, um, you know, kind of something that could be quite away in the past, that I've chosen to utilise it because it it works as as that, you know, and has that heritage feel. So, and because the thing is, musically, it might be really quite basic, but when you put the vocal melodies on top of there, sounds great. You know, I mean, really works, really, really good. So you can try to be too clever and too intricate, I think, with music, with songwriting these days, you know. It's nice to have some of that. And there is some of that on the record, which is great, but it's nice to have a good uh, a good uh, a good selection and variation of stuff that could be past, present or future all encompassing
0: right I think that's incredible and uh I have to ask you uh, on the production standpoint, uh, did you work with anybody uh, any names in particular on engineering or mixing or did you do it all yourself
1: No. But- no, like I said, I got stuck in and I did, um, I was at the helm myself really doing the demos and everything. I knew every step of the way how I wanted things to sound, you know, and I was fortunate to have uh, Tony help out because Tony's, Tony was right into it. He knew exactly what I was talking about and what I wanted. And he, and uh, when it came to putting like, the drums down and, and do stuff and, uh, obviously with the vocals and stuff like that, you know, it pretty much left the guitars and everything to me and stuff and all of the, you know, um, various uh, so-called nice bits, juicy bits to put in there. But um, we were able to work very well and get that. I said to Tony, you know, we want the drums to sound really organic, you know, and, um, you know, I'm uh, real. And he says, I know exactly how to do that. And so, you know, he was able to do that for me. And obviously with uh, the guitars, you know, um, just keeping them not oversaturated, keep plenty of headroom in the track. You know, and I said to Tony, and I want, I want to hear everything that the bass does, you know, and I did encourage Tony to Tony play you know, be heard, put some cool fills in there. You know, because I, I was a big Jack Bruce fan and hearing everything that Jack would do. And I, and I like that. I want to hear all everything that every everybody does, you know. And uh, and so I think it sounds really ballsy and punchy and big, the the record, and uh, without trying hard to do it. So I think the president is set really there with the production. We're, they're just going to be more of that
0: incredible there i have to ask you there's been these out what i call outlier tracks throughout the career of of priest uh, songs like the rage and love bites where uh, things that are kind of left field in the world of heavy metal if you will is that something that you're going to continue maybe to somehow stumble upon these songs that maybe aren't typically considered what would be in the heavy metal genre but maybe a little left field
1: it's bound to happen, I guess really, because you know it's happened in the past, you know um it's bound to happen because it's within me, you know, um I like for example the the intro bass part of love bites that was that was me, you know in a with a bass, you know um so I will come up with these different things. And like like said, the rage, you know, it's almost verging on, you know, a reggae part in there, but it kind of works and I like that as well. So I will come up with different things and there's probably some stuff on this record that's a kind of a little bit did you say left field? I think you're probably right. Um, but the thing is, the idea is and always was to to, to push the boundaries of of metal, you know, to to make the the whole idea of you know but you know i'm not overly keen on the on the terminology like genre you know to me it sounds a bit kind of posh for what we do but it, it is right the terminology is right but the metal that we do you know and and i've heard so many other people do you know and, and it works you know um And I'm talking about great bands like um, Scorpions, UFO, and obviously the bands I love except Saxon, obviously Udo, Dora, Warlock, you know, just just all of that, you know. And every band that was relevant, you know, that came along in the 70s and 80s, everybody from Venom to to Van Halen, you know, um, everything fits for me because I could take something from everything which is in the world and a great world to be in really you know great bands like docker and i mean the list goes on and on forever doesn't it really you know of acceptability in the genre of metal and even from led zeppelin to van halen everything's great let me go and see those bands you know i will buy a ticket tomorrow you know and everything in between you know, I have my kind of niche of kind of favourite metal, but, you know, all these great bands, will I go and see them? Yes, I will. You know, uh, did I go and see Ram, Ramstein on uh, a couple of tours? Yes, I did. Was it a great show? It was, yes, it was a, a great show, you know. And so this is what I feel genuinely that, you know, since being that kid in 1963, thinking, I need to find some music to listen to. Now there's tons of great stuff out there and, and we can go to music festivals and we can see the great Kiss headlining and enjoy that show along with Judas Priest supporting as we did at Donington, whatever year that was, you know, uh, Kiss headline, we were second and on, on, you know, and all the, the rest of the days were filled up with full of, uh, Incredible bands, you know, and so we can enjoy these these festivals now, as opposed to festivals I went to see in 1968, 69, at uh, places in England called, you know, Plumpton, for example, festival and different festivals. That's when we had all of the progressive blues bands. It was full of progressive blues bands and blues bands and that was great too but it's changed and i like the change
0: well kk i really appreciate uh your time uh with me on sonic dorms it's the best and uh perhaps we can do it again sometime i wanted to ask you a little bit about your time working with uh stock Akin, and waterman but perhaps we will save that for another time but i i really you got incredible stories uh It really was a pleasure, and I'm really looking forward to Sermons of the Center.
1: Yeah, thank you very much, Max. I know uh, we spent a lot of time talking about what is now, um, because we have to accept the fact 50 years thereabouts since I've been looking at this, and more since I bought that first guitar, you know, um, it is history now, and it's not really talked about. That much as a history, as a genre of music, as classic music was or jazz or, you know, or any other genre of music, we are in those realms now. We have a, a lengthy history of this music that we have actually, as I said before, lived and been a part of and it's been a part of us. So it's always a pleasure and always will be a pleasure to talk about the subject. Um, but thank you very much, Max, for the interview. I've enjoyed it thoroughly. And um, and thank you very much for all that you do. Um, and, uh, and keep up the good work.
0: Thank you so much, KK. That means the world to me. I really appreciate it. Until next time. Thank you,
1: thank you Max. Take care, buddy.